0: She's such a threat. We choose the right to be who we are. We know the difference between the reality of freedom and the illusion of freedom. There's a way to live with Earth and a way not to live with Earth. We choose the way of Earth.
1: It's about power,
2: (laughs) Joshua. ¡Gracias! No.
3: Greetings and good day, and welcome, my relatives. I shake your hands with good feelings in my heart. It's a good day for all of us to be here. This is First Voices Radio. I'm Tiokas and Ghost Horse, sending you greetings and strength from the mountains. Of the Aesopus, the Highlands of the Aesopus. This is an all native hosted, all native produced First Voices Radio. And Liz Hill is a producer of First Voices Radio. And you can now hear us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Spotify, as well as First Voices Indigenous for archive, downloading, and listing. You know, personally, I'm really interested in off the grid indigenous. Do you think there was an indigenous off grid that indigenous peoples had to be off grid? Many people are trying to be off the grid, which means maybe some indigenous peoples already know how to do that. Because it was before. It was before, really. And so this next guest, we want to meet the off-grid indigenous entrepreneur who is helping reinvigorate Hawaiian culture for the next generation. Tanya Malelani Naehu is an educator, performer, artist, community organizer, and activist at Aloha Aina, from the island of Molokai, Hawaii. Stemming from a very diverse multiracial genealogy, she is Barikwa, being of Africa, Taino, and Spanish descent, as well as Kanaka Maoli, Portuguese and Chinese. Maile was born and raised in Hawaii, and educated at Kamehameha Schools for Hawaiian Children, also an alumna of the University of Hawaii, Manoa. Kamaka Kalani Center for Hawaiian Studies, she obtained her bachelor's degree in traditional Hawaiian society, which is pre-Cook, which is pre-Captain Cook, the supposed European discoverer of the Hawaiian islands. As we know, as indigenous peoples, it's not true at all. As a co-founder of Kahale Haoka, an online school of Hawaiian knowledge, her teachings are grounded in indigenous philosophies and practices such as Mo'olelo O'lelo Hawaii, Hula, and Oli. She is also the director of Molokokai Nui Ahina, a multi-generational community art project that is founded in traditional storytelling by teaching various art mediums through the vessels Mo'olelo. She emphasizes great importance in building communication skills, confidence, and a new generation of storytellers. Her teachings are rooted in the belief that the ancient wisdom of our ancestors is the answer to our modern-day problems. And so with that, I'd like to introduce you and welcome Tanya Malelani Naehu to First Voices Radio in this way. So thank you for being here, Tanya Na- Naehu. It's an honor to, to welcome you here, Tanya.
4: Oh, mahalo. Um, thank you so much for having me and asking me to be a part of this. I'm really excited.
3: Thank you. Um, You know, I think the first question is when you talk about off-grid, off-grid Indigenous entrepreneur who is helping re- reinvigorate Hawaiian <laughs> culture for the next generation, that's like We automatically, as Indigenous peoples, go to that next generation. But what does off-grid mean? People kind of stereotype it, assume it. Oh, no lights, no no motor car, sort of a Gilligan's Island, if you remember that. You know, just simply Fred Flintstone type of mentality.
4: Yeah, well, you know, you'd be surprised. A lot of people come up and they visit our, our little homestead in the valley and they're just like, this is off-grid and we're like, yeah, it's off-grid. You know, nowadays off-grid is means it's something something very different than how you mentioning. I grew up with iligans Island. So it's close to that though, because we live on an island in Hawaii in the middle of a rainforest in a valley next to a stream. So uh Kahalehuaka, our online school, is a studio that's attached to our off-grid home. So Uh, the school is off-grid as well. We are completely reliant on solar energy, um, meaning, you know, solar panels, batteries. Uh, We have a stream. We're very blessed. So we live on the far east end of the island of Molokai, which is the most rural island in Hawaii. So the far east end is even more rural than the middle of the island, you know, where town and the stores are. Uh, We're in a valley that um, after, you know, the corner you pass around the corner come into our valley and you'll lose all the county water lines you'll lose you know the electrical lines you'll lose all that stuff so we had to um create it for ourselves so our stream water that runs to our the stream water runs through our home that's how we wash our clothes we wash our bodies we wash our dishes (laughs) it's the stream water right 20 20 yards away from our home and our studio and like i said solar power energy um, And we were very blessed uh, to be offered through the one uh, way that we're connected to the grid is our landline. We have a landline. So there's a pole that was installed here decades ago. And so we said, hey, we have, you know, we can install a landline. And thank goodness, the telephone company has really incredible fiber optic Internet through the landline. And so we were one of the first on our island two years ago, because prior to that, I mean, forget it, we were going on satellite internet and it was slow. You couldn't stream anything. So it was really cool because two years ago is when we started our online school. And a month after that, I got a phone call and they said, Hey, do you want to be the first on the island to get this high speed fiber optic internet in this deep valley? And <laughs> Nobody knows about it. I was like, Oh my gosh, the, you know, the ancestors are like making this happen because that was the one key to be able to make our online school accessible to everyone, uh, especially during the time of COVID. And so it was such a blessing. So that's what we mean when we say off grid.
3: <laughs> so when you talk about the online school program teaching about timeless uh, Hawaiian, I remember timeless Hawaiian wisdom and culture, which one comes first? wisdom or the culture is the the wisdom coming out of the culture because that has to be in place like you are
4: absolutely Absolutely. yes i think you know that's a really good conversation when you talk about indigenous peoples overall trying to retrace uh who they are when so little was left behind or or taken really um and so in the Hawaiian culture, for instance, you know, we weren't allowed to speak olelo Hawaii after the overthrow. I think the law was passed in 1896, where English was to be the primary language, right? So slowly it was this, um, you know, stripping away of our identity. And so by the time we came to the Hawaiian Renaissance, which we identify as like the 70s, when I Voyaging canoes started to retrace those voyages over the Pacific using the stars. Immersion, Hawaiian language immersion schools started to emerge. We really had only a handful of of elders left to look to, to get the language, to document, to create dictionaries, to create resources. And so when you talk about wisdom and culture, um, of course they go hand in hand. But uh, for us, it's been a, a, a unique path in that we had to um, kind of look at what was left, the footprints, the imprints of what was left and kind of uh, problem solve and figure a lot out a lot for ourselves. We had to dig into archives and thank goodness we had um, you know, incredible scholars in the 1800s that were documenting our chance a lot, of, a lot is held in our chants, which is my passion, uh, the storytelling, stuff like that. And so things started, slowly started to unfold. And so when you start to, uh, you know, seek this wisdom, then you start to live it. It starts to just become your world and your perspective on everything. And so I think our people, um, not all of them, we're still in this process of, of um, uh, I wouldn't say... Um, it's in my, I said decolonizing once, and my friend was like, let's just start saying indigenizing. It's more positive. So <laughs> I like that, you know, that idea of, of this proactive rather than, uh, you know, like reactive type of word. So, yeah, so starting to indigenize ourselves by um, living off-grid, growing our own food, speaking our language. All of my children are fluent. Um <clears throat> And, you know, I, I, I'm i like everyone else in Hawaii, we're all mixed race, right? So that's another thing thrown into the mix about losing a culture is that we were all we're living on sugar plantations together. So I'm, I'm Puerto Rican, Portuguese, Hawaiian, Chinese, all, you know, immigrants mixed together and became the people of Hawaii, you know? And so, but we live in Hawaii and this mm-hmm. is what we need to identify with. We And through these chants, through whatever wisdom we could grab, the language, we started to learn how to live the culture, how to take better care of the land, uh, this, the, the wisdom that was left for us by our ancestors, and start to really live it. So a friend of mine told me this really cool quote that I'll never, I always use it because I think it's so beautiful, is that um, one generation's knowledge becomes the next generation's wisdom which in turn becomes the next generation's being. And so that was the kind of process that I went through personally as a Kanaka Maoli and my mother's Borenkoa, you know, just kind of retracing who I was and and going to school, majoring in Hawaiian language and Hawaiian studies so that eventually my knowledge that I gained could be given to my children as a gift. And then we just skipped out the wisdom and, and, and went straight to being. So watching my children grow up, you know, as, as their first language, living, growing the food, eating the food, working the ocean, knowing how to fish, clean fish, all those wonderful things, understanding the moon phases, um, it's their being now. You know, it happened that fast. For me, growing up without any of that, really, just dancing hula, that was my only connection. And within my lifetime, um, my children, ha- it's who they are. So, no. it's, yeah, there's a lot when we talk about wisdom and culture, you know, great conversation.
3: Yeah, it is. It is. It sounds like because you grew up in and was educated mm-hmm. at these Kamehameha schools and, and mm-hmm. then your process was to go to a foreign educational process where everything became so linear, subjective, mm-hmm. objectified.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. So I did attend Kamehameha schools for Hawaiian children for 11 years of my life out of the 13. And it is a school for Native Hawaiian children. But um, at that time, we were very Western. And so we weren't mandated to learn olelo Hawaii. Um, We, you know, we dabbled in it. We had Hawaiian studies classes and so forth. We knew who we were. And, and so I knew that part of my identity, but I really wanted more. And so, like you said, we go, we go to the university. I was blessed enough to be mentored by Hau'nani um, K. Chaskin, Lili Kala Kame'e They were my uh, mentors. And um, just such a blessing. And But, again, what is the theory without the practice? You know, so after I graduated, I was still feeling like I was just still um, kind of empty and missing something. And it was because I was I wasn't applying. I wasn't living it. And so I think now more than ever, you see a lot of these scholars that are practitioners as well. And so that's a really powerful combination. Right. So, um. I think that's the key right there is like, yeah, you can go into these lecture classes. You can learn from the best of the best, be mentored by the best of the best. But really, what is it worth if you're not live, like truly living it? And so for me, I think that's a really big part of my practice is like I'm not going to teach anything that I'm not that I haven't experienced. It and I really, truly know as an indigenous Wahine or woman
3: that is so powerful just to say that because as you know Tanya there there are living languages that that live you you cannot practice them unless you're living with earth and so mm-hmm. your off the grid schools and online schools um is kind of like teetering and if they turned it all off you would still be able to survive as indigenous because of the language that keeps you living and yet we need to understand the formula driven like they told us to. This is the you mentioned it. This is decolonization, and this is this is colonization. We were force-fed this formula, and you mm-hmm. did to me. You clean cleaned it up. You said no, let's indigenize. And I think that is as a cultural keeper or practitioner that you are. People need to know this other viewpoint, this other way of, of being, in a sense. Mm-hmm. And, and you That's being it. in Molokai. Could you describe the environment and nature there and Molokai? Which island is it?
4: Yes, Molokai is uh, right between Oahu, which is where Honolulu, the, you know, the big city is, and Maui we're right smack dab in the middle of the two which are the t- one of the two mo- more busier populated islands and uh incredibly we've we've managed not incredibly actually we've tried we've we've tried and fought really hard to keep mm-hmm. Molokai the way it is molokai is very rural like i mentioned um not as developed not even close everything is mom and pop we have no chain stores none of that stuff which i absolutely love and we will fight mm-hmm. to the death to keep it that way um you know things are more expensive, um, but mm-hmm. but we are so rich in resources. So one of the nicknames of our island is Molokai Aina Momona, which means Molokai of the fat lands. And it's because we're, we're known for our fish ponds. And so my family, actually, we restore Hawaiian fish ponds. My husband has been a Kia'i a fish pond guardian for the last 22 years. And these fish ponds are more than 800 years old. So they're built along the coast, these brackish water coasts on the southern coast. And um, you know it's it's fish farming, so we always had food. And so there's you know 68 ponds. A lot of them are are kind of toppled over time, but we're slowly restoring them. So we actually have a nonprofit on the side that we do to restore these ponds. Uh, we we are very rich in um, food that grows from the land as well. Uh, we have to be. We have to be not not because you know, we want to hold on to our traditions, of course we want to do that, but it's because it's so expensive to live in Hawaii, you know, and so we thank our ancestors for giving us these gifts and what they left, the taro patches, the fish ponds, so that we can maintain them and we can continue to feed ourselves. So Moloka'i is very different. It's closer to what Hawaii used to be when you come to Moloka'i.
3: So I'm thinking I you just saw me drink uh, some water. Yeah. Um I also go to a spring and mm-hmm. it's it's funny because ironically the spring doesn't charge me for drinking the water but mm-hmm. you know the plumbing the store yeah. mm-hmm. uh, you know what what is that so but we don't have that in front of our minds we automatically mm-hmm. assume that's how it is. Yes. Um and so when when you teach mm-hmm. these your uh, you know the projects, the multi generational community that you have, the art projects, traditional mm-hmm. storytelling. What does that entail?
4: It actually entails the exact thing you were just talking about. So, a part of what we do with the restoration of the fish, fish ponds is is securing punavai or water springs, identifying where they are, opening them up very gently, digging by mm-hmm. hand, no machines, securing them so we have the optimal water flow. But <clears throat> the 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 lessons and units that I design are based on these traditional um, stories or mo'olelo that help us to understand those types of natural resources, how they work, why they work a certain way and even the the deeper cultural spiritual aspect of it and identifying these things by their names and the deities that protect them and the deities different body forms and why do they have these different body forms because actually scientifically these things are connected, you know, so it's all like before Darwin, before Western science, it's like we, had, we, we have the answers. And so that is the foundation of everything we teach. So if I'm, I go into a classroom, because I do, still do um, in-person in the classrooms here, as well as my online school. When I go into the classroom, virtual or in-person, I am planting that seed of personal connection. And for that, the kids to say, oh, okay, we're learning about trees we're going to learn about trees from Hawaii because prior to this, we're reading textbooks and they're teaching us about maple and oak trees. We don't know. We we have no connection to maple and oak trees in Hawaii, pine trees even. It's like, what? Like, you know, we want to, we need to learn about the the, the banana, the banana, the, the coconut, the kukui, all these trees that make sense to us that we actually use to sustain ourselves, to build our homes and so that is how I design everything. It's based on the traditional storytelling, the traditional understanding of how to take care of our natural resources and be better stewards. So, our mission for our online school is really to, we use this in our wording, is to build the next generation of guardians and storytellers. Because those two, that combination, you can do anything. You know, you want to be a doctor? Learn how to learn your storytelling and how to be a, a good steward and, and guardian to our land and our people first. You want to be a lawyer? You do the same. Any field you go into, if you have that foundation, you can do anything because you have this super solid foundation.
3: Like you say, pre-cooked, right? And that's not yeah. so long mm-hmm. ago. But pre-cooked, that's what we're talking about. It's not that far away. And yet, mm-hmm. encroachment of these other ways of being are not... Panning out really. So I'm so glad that you're understanding that being indigenous in practice, living that culture, living the language, living with Earth basically. And I Ooh. think that that is so, you know, how do I say it? 12% of the world is quote unquote white, but they control 96% of the standards of how people are to behave around mm. the world psychology, science, art, economy. You know, mm-hmm. and everything. That's why you referred to geez, we're learning about oak trees and maple, and there's not, none of those exist there. When you come back to the language, let's talk about the language. Of course, you know, I can only speak about what's going on in the Black Hills or the center of mm-hmm. of North America. And I cannot apply the same things in Hawaii because everything is different. But to me, the, the, the backbone of who we are as Indigenous peoples, that's worldwide, you mm-hmm. see. So I think yours is a community to look forward to in, in the modeling of how people can actually sustain pre-Cook, pre-1492.
4: Mm-hmm. I think that um, our decolonization process has was, was uh, it happened pretty quick. You know, from the time that Cook came uh, in 1778, uh, by the time King Kamehameha died in 1819, almost 90% of our population had died from the diseases that Cook's men brought. And so I like to always use that, um, that to kind of spark a fire. Uh, not just in our Kanaka Maoli children, but all the people of Hawaii, because, um, or even more so, I say specifically to the the ones who have the Koko or the blood, the Moʻokauhau and genealogy, is that we have a personal responsibility. Like we're the survivors. We were, we we are blessed to have been that ten percent, to have come from that ten percent, and we have a serious kuleana and responsibility to start stepping up to. And so um, I always like to use that, um, you know, that story to kind of spark this fire. And they go, oh my gosh, I am, I'm I'm, I'm special, <laughs> you know? And I think as Indigenous people, we're, we're really taught growing up that we're really, we're different. How do we fit in? You know, where's our part in this whole scheme and story of things? And so when you see, you flip that and you say, you know what? That's, we're gonna be the heroes in this story. We're gonna flip this story around, you know? And so we don't have to let that moment define us. And so just by, um, you know, planting that seed, it, it it's immediate, the reaction. When I tell, especially kids, when I tell kids this, you see the spark in their eye and they're like, oh my gosh, you know? And so when, when, a lot of times when I, when, we're, when I teach, I'm also a hip hop artist. So I'm, I'm a hip hop recording artist that, you know, I use like our mm-hmm. language and hip hop and stuff, but we're really trying to uh, reach out to, to the, to all audiences, but mostly mm-hmm. the kids. Because if we can grab them, <laughs> because, you know, it's hard to convince adults to change their yes. mind. Yes. and and start changing their thinking and decolonizing their minds, it's hard. And so I go straight for the kids. I'm like, if I can plant that seed, like they're never, it's just gonna keep growing. Like it's never gonna disappear, you know? And so a lot of times we look at these traditional ideas, concepts, stories to spark the fire, but also coupling it with these modern mediums because we're innovative people. Mm-hmm. Right, so we always want to look to the past. There's a great no Noel, Ikavama Mua, kavama Hope, and the in the future is our past, right? Mm-hmm. So we keep one foot there, and then we keep move, moving with the other foot. And we we are innovative people as Indigenous people. We are always like evolving and trying to adapt and to our natural environment. How do we how do we keep continuing who we are? And so I think I like to grab these um, more contemporary mediums, hip hop. Uh, video, you know, making these online virtual school, which I never thought I would do because everything was all so traditional face-to-face, you know, but then really trying to embrace as an Indigenous woman and say, you know what, if I really want to make a difference, we're going to have to put one foot in each, you know, the past and the present and the future, excuse me, the past and the future and use those two to the advantage of our people to move our people ahead. So, you know, whether like how I said all these contemporary meri- mediums that I really embrace but using the past as the solid foundation for it all.
3: Can we talk a little bit about the seeds that you you were you were mentioning or oh, you didn't mention it but I you wanted to talk a little bit about think if think
4: Yeah, think if it. <laughs> So Thinkific um, actually gave us a really wonderful platform to be able to reach the whole world. We're global. You know, so a lot of people don't know that there's more Kanaka Maoli, which is an indigenous people to Hawaii, outside of Hawaii, Than in Hawaii, because like I mentioned, it's so expensive to live here. So we have probably half of that outside diaspora population is probably in Las Vegas alone. (laughs) A lot of them go to the West Coast um, and then along the Pacific Coast because it feels closer to home. Um, And so we really wanted to be able to reach them that was one of my main initiatives was to reach all of these kanaka maoli who had to move away from home that our first second third generation away from hawaii but they never have let go of who they are but it's very hard for them to find resources of uh, communities that they can relate to on that level and so we wanted to create something to really reach out to those kanaka maoli and also Beyond the Kanaka Maoli population, because there's a lot of people who call Hawaii home that are not that are not Hawaiian that are not Kanaka Maoli, you know. And so, I also wanted to leave the door open for them because I I truly believe that our Hawai'i can flourish once people who live in Hawai'i understand our culture. <laughs> Like, uh, how can you be a good steward to this land no matter what your genealogy is if you don't know our stories and you don't, like how I said, explains how we need to care for these natural resources, right? So you just come to Hawaii and you look at Waikiki and you're like, what the heck happened? Yes, yes. Waikiki is, they, they filled in our tower patches and swamps that we grew food in and put hotels on it. So it's literally built on swamps, right? So if we can start planting these seeds, in these kids, you know, and even some adults, you see the spark happen even as adults, you know, then we can start shifting that mindset on how are we gonna make better decisions for our land, for our ocean, for our people, right? So Thinkific um, has really allowed us that platform to like reach beyond Hawaii and teach Mm -hmm. everybody uh, the important things that we need to teach. But Thinking Color is um, a really cool event that's being coordinated by Think And um, it's starting this Thursday. And so this Thursday's panel is really cool because it's all uh, wahine or females of color. And we've all began our own um, online schools and education centers through Think Effect. So there's going to be some really cool discussions and it's going, be, going to be happening throughout the month. So you can follow uh, Think in Color on Facebook and they have a page and they're going to have incredible panels. I'll be on the one on Thursday. So you can check that one out.
3: Yeah, can you tell me how to get a hold of you? Otherwise, if people wanted to do an interview or even I mean talk to you somehow, can you give yeah. us a a website to follow.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So our website is kahalehuaka.com and it's spelled uh, K-A-H-A-L-E-H-O-A-K-A. And it's three separate words, but when you put it in .com, it's all together, kahalehuaka.com. Our Facebook page is under kahalehuaka, Our Instagram page is under kahalehuaka. And if you want to just email me directly, just email info at and I'll get, I'll get
3: right back to you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. It's an honor just getting all of this and and your family. Keep it up and, you know, everything that you're doing with the language and off-grid and reinvigorating the culture of Earth. And that beautiful. Thank you.
4: Thank you for what you do. Mahalo for having me.
3: And welcome back. My name is Teokasen Ghost Horse and you're listening to First Voices Radio. 30 years. Wow. Anyway, I was I was look at that 30 years of, wow, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I can't describe it. Let's find an exalted expression in English to say, wow. I, I don't know, maybe hooray, maybe yippee, yahoo. Um, what would you think, Malcolm? What was an exalted ex- expression? Well, you're asking a Canadian. Eh? <laughs> so it's usually a word that starts with the letter F. Oh oh yeah, well you know that's freaking freak A. Oh freaking A yeah, <laughs> wow. No, freak I was just thinking A. about that. But yeah, um I was just thinking about how that but so here. <laughs> You know, that's Barber's Guitar by Jim Jimmy Thackeray and Dee Rivers off the album Spare Keys. Yeah, I would like to finish that one out, but um, I think there's some importance in what I'm doing here as an indigenous person on the air in Kingston, New York, in the mountains of the Esopus, the land of the Esopus, the Munsee Lenape people and their language. And as an indigenous person, I walk through these streets, I ride through these streets and breathe the air, the mountains, and the water, and the food that comes, and has always come from the earth. And um, the the commodification of all of those ideas that the earth has come up with has really put a place, uh, how do I say this, it's really put a container on any sovereignty that the earth has been trying to tell us about, how to save herself, how to save us, if you just let her. So in that way, I think about this text of Declaration of Independence, and in this way of understanding it. And I, I'm not too sure if it's the fifth and final acceptance of this writing as at that time in 1776 when it de- declared the independence from the British rule. Yeah. And when I read the, start reading this, when I could understand the etymologies uh, of certain words and terms back in my day when I was in the ac- academic world and and reading books and standardizing any wisdom that I could, actually educating the wisdom out of myself so that I could think binarily and think in domination terms, uh, dominative terms. And so I thought about what is so different about this Declaration of Independence that everybody's going to go off and have fake war and blow up things and scare the earth and scatter the earth and, wow, that sounds familiar, that you scatter all over the earth and be fruitful and dominate, right? And so... But I thought further, you can't do that to Mars. You can't do that to the moon. You can't go on there and dominate, you know, with a book, right? You cannot do that. You can only do that with your weapons. And what takes in the course of those events. So when in the course of a human events, now de- describing what human means is standardized to the Western way of saying this is a human and that's anthropocentricity talking. And according to... The standard that 96% of the world needs to per- behave like 12% of the world, which is European of European descent in psychology and science and religion and all those things like that. And it, so it, it, the text goes, it becomes necessary. Now think about that. It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands. I wonder who they're talking about. Hmm. Which have connected them with another In relationship, that's my words. Connected, uh, it sounds like a fairly new word, but it's Latin. Uh, It was supposedly relationship, which is more homey, more down home with you, rather than connected, a Latin word. And then, which have connected them with another. And to assume among the powers of the earth, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. And this is the part that I really opened my eyes, opened my heart even further and accepted. Well, there has to be people that don't see the light, so to speak, and that's not my judgment, it's what their behavior is. Show them to be the wendigo, the washichu, those who take too much without ever thinking about the consequences. So there is no consequential thinking in this text of the Direct Declaration of Independence, because they're coming over here complaining about the British rule, taking their freedom, taking their taxes, all the while subduing, dismissing anything native, and the native relationship as a power of the earth, from the earth, I would say. And they needed to separate that, and so that they are contained in a station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them. So they're trying to take away the relationship, our consciousness with with the earth, with earth and put us into What comes into the the next paragraph here. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then I'm going to go into the next paragraph. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another. And to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So many native peoples did not want to join this so-called mankind, opinions of mankind, because that mankind opinions came out of Greece. It was all set up that, that they knew from that time before that, this would, this would be set up as this country in the America. America is north and south, not just the United States or Canada or Mexico. And so it says we hold these truths to be self-evident and that all men are created equal. That's straight out of, some people say, straight out of Compton. That's straight out of the columns of Greece, the columns in Athens, Athens, where they said it. And I was on the plane where they declared all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator, a male, with certain unalienable rights. So you can do any anything that you please. White man does anything they want to do. That among these are life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. Now, you remember I said, is this the third or fifth and final accepted draft that you are going by? Life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. And when I say pursuit of happiness, it took this long, that many drafts, to get rid of how do we say life, liberty, and the pursuit of property without making it, you know, obvious. So happiness is something that no one knows, you know, unless you think it's material gain, you think you have enough money, you're well-fed, you're healthy, all of that. But you have to take away property, the land, away from Native people in order to do that. That to secure these rights, see, rights... That's the thing. Rights, not meant to be here anymore. The natives. They they need to have these rights taken away from them. Governments are instituted among men, so they're dividing the power among their own standardized mankind, driving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is a right of the people. Now here's where I think to alter or to abolish it. And that's where you stand now, you Americans. It is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. And so, you know, without being a conservative, without being a liberal, without being a Democrat or Republican, I am an indigenous person. I'm watching the whole process, and have all my life, and I've studied your laws, and I've studied these usurpations, and a long time abuses of Earth, and abuses of native people, of the life on Earth, and even of your own people. And so, you know, when I go through these texts of this text of the, the Declaration of Independence that you all are going to be celebrating. There's also a phrase in there, and many Native people know this. And um, it's about domestic insurrections, right? Homeland security or homeland insecurity. One of us, many of us Native people say, and it's about us. It tells directly. Nobody else is in it except as a people, Native people. And we are called this. He has excited domestic insurrections. This is the British is doing this and. Saying, while well, the British are the native people, the Indians are getting together and they're gonna take over our land that we have conquered. He has excited domestic insurrections amongst us and has endeavored to bring on the inhabitants of our our frontiers, the merciless Indian savages, whose known rule of warfare is an undistinguished destruction of all ages, sexes, and conditions. <laughs>
0: and distant drumming, the pounding of the hooves, the silence of everything that moves. Late at night you see them, decked out in shiny jewels, the coming of the caravan. Like the wings of a dove, the waiter's white glove seems to shimmer by the light of the pool. Some dull, blinding winter, when you can't help but lose, you're running with the caravan of Don't play by anybody's rules With your carousel of horses And your unforeseen forces You're running with the caravan of fools Caravan of fools Caravan of of fools You're running with the caravan
3: Enigma with Akilo, Akilo, I think, Akilo, and the fall of the rebel um, album, and uh, what else, is it? the fall of the rebel angel, of a rebel angel, excuse me, that's 2016, and I think about this, um, that song, Amen, you know, I think the original context was all men, so even back then it was a dominator male god, uh, yeah, so it, it's on the same story, right, and I want to talk about the it happened way back when this whole domination thing started out of that that dogma, dogmatic thinking that is actually killing the Earth now because it is about the war against the Earth. You know, we we get distracted with our little Johnny Depp trials over there and what's going on in Ukraine, and we're thinking only about humans. Then we're going to save a whale and a tree. Yeah, that's it. That's solution-oriented. Yeah, that linear way of being... Um, so I think about, oh, hey, how did it begin here? How did it carry over here? Did it come in the winds? Yes, it sure did. Columbus came over, and it was a three 3 ships, and they came out of the blue. And as Uncle says, they, were, they dressed funny, and they start stabbing the earth with spears and proclaiming it was theirs because they didn't find any humans there, even though we were standing right in front of them, free, giving freely, generously. So you can live here, but, you know, we didn't say own the place. Yeah, so that's still, that still stands. And so when this started in you know, the 1493, a year after the discovery of the Western Hemisphere, I shouldn't even say that because I'm just adding to the to the toil of the text of toxicity, right? So it is, we discovered these guys. The view from the shore says that these guys were sick. They came, we had to give them food so that they get could get well. We thought that they were sick because their skin was so light and they had sores all over. That was Columbus's crew. So the natives gave them food, tomatoes, you know, other food to make them well. They knew they were coming two weeks before because the waves told them so. And so here goes a year later, 1493, the papal bulls, uh, doctrine of discovery, doctrine of domination, doctrine of abomination now, as it is, because you call... This is your, all yours, your ownership, your property, and this is the way it is for the rest of the world. So we're looking for exoneration language? I don't think so. And then it came to the 1512, I believe, is requiremento, the Spanish requirement that go among the Native nations in south of the border, so to speak, right now, uh, in South America, in Mexico, and places like that are Ill, ill-named, um, and talk about... If you don't convert to Christ, then we're going to kill you. In languages that the natives never understood. So you can, you can imagine many, many many didn't understand it. They were mostly killed. And so that comes down to 1620. And uh, this is the, the, the primary here. 1620, the pilgrims came here. And they declared, in the text of the Mayflower Compact, in the name of God, Amen whose names are underwritten and it names the loyal subjects of the dread sovereign of King James, or the Lord King James, by then that the language or of the Bible had been switched, and by the grace of God of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King, and defender of the faith. And that meant many others, country who were under that rule of Christianity or Catholicism. So it goes on that here's what they're going to do to this bettering the order and preservation and furtherance of the land that they're going to take and make theirs. And anybody who who, who, doesn't agree to the submission and obedience, they will get rid of. And this is basically what it's saying because it's the outcome of what they did when they came here. And the end, eno tamini means in 1620, means annual domination. Every year, they're going to bring this out with William Bradford, all you pilgrims, Thanksgiving's coming up, that you go ahead and read it, right? You go ahead and see it. And you have to know that the consciousness of the earth is alive, and that humans who are once again becoming beings are here now. We are conscious. We are conscious conscious and that has to do with everything we respect without the conscience of trying to do the right thing and the wrong thing according to substandard laws of humans i'd like to say thank you for hanging in with us and we're going to go out thank you my name is Tiokas and ghost horse and uh thanks for bending your ear (laughs)